What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Controversial Conversations. My name is Kelly Cavallero. And I'm John Robinson, also known as Mr. Showcase. Thank you for joining us again for uh, another trip down our crazy minds <laughs> of what we want to talk about. This is episode five. If you haven't yet, head back, listen to episodes one through four. I guarantee you, you'll enjoy it. If not, you might want to call us with some interesting comments. Either one, we will take it, right, John? Yep. Give us some feedback. <laughs> so today's episode, we are talking about events. All about events. Setups from one room, events, two room, five room, 47 room, <laughs> one day workshops. What goes into them? Do event directors, are event directors setting up their event for the type of event they're trying to run? Um different aspects uh, throw in whether or not now we've been through the pandemic and it's become more common even though we did some of this before with myself and Kelly live streaming events at night some people live streaming a couple lessons overseas how much the virtual aspect will play into it Um, huge shout out real quick to Brack and Heidenreich for uh, writing us in and giving us the show topic and idea so um let's just let's dive right in john um you as an event director many of different types all sorts of one one's for profit one's for charity single room workshops you've done multiple rooms what goes through your mind when you're going to set up if you if you right now if you're going to start a brand new event right now straight up the bat boom what would what would go through your thought process of first of all what type of event you're going to want whether it be one room two room like a smaller event kind of like what you have at dance up a storm with a two to three to the one we were just at at dance 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 that was two rooms this year to something like windy city that has five rooms during the day three dance rooms at night all sorts of mumbo jumbo well where to begin um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, there's just so much, and there's there's so many factors involved. So, <clears throat> I apologize for my voice. I'm a little hoarse. Nay. <laughs> um, <laughs> bad joke. <clears throat> so, the first thing to think about is what is the purpose? What's the goal? Why am I doing it? So, Chris, my husband Chris, and I had several events that we hosted. We had JJ Jam. We had... Um, which was focused on classics. We did, that was the goal, that was the point. We didn't want all new dances, we wanted to present old dances that are so fun and popular or that people may have never been exposed to before. So that was, we had a niche, we had a special thing to provide with those events. <clears throat> then when we did Dances Life, out in, we, we tried it in Las Vegas. The reason we did it there, I have to let you know, first of all, because some people were back then we're saying, oh, are you trying to compete with Vegas Dance Explosion? And I said, absolutely not, because that's a whole different animal. And I don't even like Las Vegas. I really don't. It, the vibe of the city rubs me the wrong way. So the reason we chose Vegas was for location. Huh? So that's a big factor as well. Where you're hosting the event, whether it's a one-day workshop or a multi-day giant convention, where are you going to have it? Is it going to draw people there? Um, will people want to travel to that location? Yep. So the events that we did in, in Indy, I'm going to go off on a lot of tangents on this. When we did our events, <clears throat> one of the things that we did to set us apart 
on Sunday, we had no workshops. We did what we called an excursion. So people could sign up or not. If they wanted to go home, they could go home. But otherwise, we had this great fun little excursion. One year, we went to a winery. Everybody loved that one. Imagine that. Shocker. <laughs> one year, we went, and we took, like, a busload of people. We rented a large enough van, you know, a shuttle yep. kind of kind of thing, and transported people there and had a blast. We also did a trip to Nashville, Indiana, which is like an artist colony kind okay. of place. And everybody that went enjoyed it. So... <clears throat> the goal there was to try to offer something unique and different, not the same thing that all the other events were providing. And I think that's important what, no matter what size your workshop is going to be. Do you set, I'll use Scooter Lee for an example, Dancing for the Dream. is targeted to a very specific portion of our line dance community, seniors, active seniors. Scooter's trying to provide... Um, a healthy activity or a healthful activity, a healthful arena. She gives information about maintaining your health as you age. That's something we don't see at other dance events or workshops. It's very specifically focused on that. And then the music that she plays and the songs and the dances that we do are dances that are primarily not phrased, meaning they're not like ABC, they don't have tags or restarts, because she wants to keep it I'm not going to say simple, but easier for the seniors yep. to recall and remember. She doesn't want it to be that high-level convention, you know, yep. phrased ABC, you've got to remember what corner you're going to, all that kind of stuff. So she has a very definite niche market that she's appealing to, and it works. It works because those people want that type of experience for them. They get frustrated. You know, I, I'm getting older, I can relate. So some of the seniors go, and some seniors are still very capable of doing, you know, high energy, high yep. impact, hip hop dances or whatever, but some of them just want that kind of middle ground, improver level, mm-hmm. challenges them, but it's not so hard, their brains are gonna explode kind of thing. So first goal, why are you doing it? First thing to think about, why are you setting up the event? What's the goal? What are you wanting from it? Um, and then I think your location is super important. Also, where are you gonna, not just the city, but in what type of facility are you going to have yep. it? That can affect the entire success of your event. Um, are you going to have it in a big, massive hotel chain, which could be super expensive, uh, especially if it's in a particular part of town that is a more expensive part of town? And I'm thinking specifically of events that I've worked. Let's say I did DC Out for John Lindo. Mm-hmm. And that particular area where it was held in Washington, D.C. was rather expensive. So even if you went out to like go out to eat or something, you know, it, it was a higher... Um, priced area right. and the hotel itself the rooms were super I would co- consider them super expensive compared to what we're used to as we travel on the road and do right. some of these other workshops let's say in like I don't know um, Peach State in Atlanta or Windy City and it's not they weren't even those aren't as expensive as that hotel was so then you need to think about will your attendees be able to afford to come like what will you have to do to to um make it affordable to get the numbers that you need to pay the bills. So then there's, we're not even scratching the tip of the iceberg. You have to think about, is there food on the property? You know, so if, right. even if you're doing a one-day workshop, let's say you're having an American Legion. Well, does the American Legion provide food? If not, is there something nearby where people can go quickly at lunch if you're doing a day workshop? Or are you going to provide the lunch? Will right. you bring the lunch in for them? Because there's no options nearby that's easy, easily accessible for them. You got to think about that. That's part of your location. Is it convenient? If you're going to do a big convention weekend thing, can people get to it? 
you know, do they have to fly in and then let's say we're going to go with like New York State of Line, Rosie Moltari's event. It's in the Catskills. It's not easily accessible by plane, right? The nearest nearest right. airport. Two, two it's a small hour, airport. Yeah, yeah, and it's not very close, so you got to have transportation. How will the people get there? Right. So a lot of the people that go to the event drive, but if you're bringing staff in, you have to arrange for their transportation to get right. from the airport to that resort. So those are all logistical factors you have to think about. And then, oh gosh, I can't even, I, there's so much more to talk about. So who are you going to hire for staff? What type of, I'll, I'll use my events as an example. So when we did the classics, of course I wanted classic instructors, people who were around back in the 90s when I started line dancing, and the dances that we were teaching were popular then. So of course I wanted to bring those people in to provide that classic experience. You know, like Max Perry and Joe Thompson and Scott Blevins and whoever was around back then, Kathy Hanyati. Um, if you're going to provide, let's say you're going to focus on hip-hop, Mm-hmm. Well, then you're going to want staff that can provide that type of experience for the for the the um, students that are paying to come to that workshop. Go fall out. Don't go for people. How should I say this right? Make sure your staff matches the kind of experience you want to provide. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. So if you want to provide, let's say, an improver level experience, then bring in instructors who are great at teaching improver level dances. You bring. I've seen this happen. You bring in an instructor who's an amazing intermediate advanced instructor, and they can't really teach the improver level. They teach at that high pace, improver inter- or intermediate advanced. They can't either slow down or break things down into smaller chunks that the improver level dancers need, or beginner dancers for that matter. Figure that out. Who's the best Who's the best combination of staff that you, that you can DJ? You have to think about your DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when you're working with a hall, whether that's a hall, a local hall, a building, a rec center, even a hotel, there are factors you need to consider as far as where's the nearest restroom. Right. Um, will people be able to have water during the day or during the whole convention? What are the issues we experience with, with our events, Dances Life? Late at night, open dance party, we go till four in the morning. Well, guess what? The, no sta- yeah, the hotel staff. That's, that- common, that's common in the United <laughs> States at every hotel ever. Yeah. I've noted. I've I've noticed that as an ongoing thing. Yeah. Well, the hotel staff that replenishes water is gone. They're not there till four in the morning. Right. So you're kind of screwed. You have to. I mean, we had to actually go buy water one time at one of our events because we ran out and everybody was dying of thirst. So there's so many factors involved. And then when it comes to like choosing the duration, so we're talking about you know a day workshop, a half a day workshop. Uh, is there, are you going to do maybe an evening dance the night before and then the day workshop and maybe a dance that night as well? The whole package has to be considered. What's it going to cost you? What do you need to make? And we both know this. Mm-hmm. Nobody really hosts events, I don't think, to get rich. I don't think any of us who host events and all of you who are, if you hosted, have ever hosted a convention of any kind, there's so much expense involved yes. above and beyond even what I've touched on already that you really need a great turnout to break even. So you've got to figure out that break-even point as well. Right. So for I'll give you an example. So when we chose our pass prices, because people say, well, how do you choose? When, when people are going to do a workshop with me and do like a Saturday workshop, what should I charge? And I say to them, what will your expenses be? Then sit down and go, okay, well, what if I, what, how many people can I realistically expect to attend? 
if you know you can realistically attract 50 people, then you've got to divide your expenses by 50, and that's your pass price, kind of, sort of. That's a base. To, that's not it, but that's a base to work from. So then you go, oh my gosh, I have to charge Ruby $200 if I only have 50 people. Then you gotta, you got to figure out new math, right? Like, so then do you need, you'll need more people so the pass price can go down. <coughs> and is, is that feasible? Can you attract that many people so that you don't end up in the hole when the event is over? Um, one thing I want to touch on, and, and when Bracken presented this, she was talking about one room versus two room. Mm. And one room, the only time we really see one room over here in the U.S. is a one-day workshop. Usually, usually, you don't see the only big event in the U.S. It's a one-day event. It's the experience hosted by Diane Potosky and Sandy Albano, and they designed that around wanted it to be an experience of a Europe or a UK event. Mm. You see the events over in the UK going away from just the cost. Now, John, we've been on shows with where the topic has gone. The reason why so many dances are choreographed is because of floor splits, that everybody should have the opportunity to dance. This this past weekend, at the time of this recording, John and I attended Dance, Dance, Dance in Colorado Springs, hosted by Betty Moses. At the same time that we were there, there was a one-day, not a one-day, one-room, two-day two day event in Mesa, Arizona, hosted by... Um, Janet, Janet Wallace, Wallace called Desert Dance. They had Amy Bailey, Darren Bailey, Joe Tom Szymanski, and Bracken Heidenreich, who also DJed the event. Also over in Tune in the UK, Dave Baycroft had Fred Whitehouse, Tim Johnson, JP Mosh, um, Natalie Thurlow was there performing. Both were one room events. Now, both, huge shout out to uh, Tim and Fred and Dave and Pauline for posting every all the list of everything that was taught. And same thing, Jesse Chan was in attendance. Huge shout out to her. She posted a, a picture at the beginning of every workshop, and there was a ton of workshops in Desert Dance. Do you know what the one thing I noticed? There wasn't a single beginner dance taught hmm. in neither event. There were some improvers. There were some improver dances, which we all know improver is not a beginner dance. So did you did how was that welcoming to everybody mm. are, are you designing the event specifically not to have beginners and I say that because you've been on my shows on the radio show where everybody's comments well beginners need to be there you need to do it for your beginners you need to do it for beginners we just witnessed and I just brought up two events that mm-hmm. didn't do that right. now did, did they have a, we don't know what their attendees were like so we don't know who danced at night, but I'm going to go with not many beginners if they probably weren't there just for the night dancing if they didn't have a single workshop to go to. So why? I guess, I, I guess the question, the question and, and the topic on that is what's the goal? Like yeah. you just said, what's the goal of that? Right. If, if you can't have your cake and eat it too there, you can't. I don't want to use the word divide us because I know there's events that we know guys and I'm not saying this there are specific events geared for intermediate advanced mm-hmm. dancers yes the difference is that is laid out if you look at the flyers and I'm, I'm going to refer to two one in the UK and I'm talking about Stoke 
right before the Crystal Boot Awards, that event, and I've been told by instructors that have talked there, people who've attended, that event is not for, it's not <laughs> for the faint at heart. I'm not going to say the word that they used on their flyer one year. <laughs> um, totally would kill to go to that event one year. I, I would crave that just to see it. Um, and, of course, get to live stream it and freak it back and show everybody. But And then the experience in the U.S. That mm-hmm. is guaranteed geared in, to the higher level. Workshop-wise, the higher level. Every other event, two, three rooms, you, you have beginner dances taught at the same time as you have intermediate dances taught. It's geared to, to offer it to everybody. And I guess if you're going to set up an event, first of all, are you wanting the people when you're picking an event? And um, let's let me let's throw out a city here. Um, let's throw out Nashville, Tennessee. Um, there hasn't been a line dance event in Nashville, Tennessee, except for the the year the experience is there. There's been UCWDC events there that have but both, but not not really. Just as all dedicated. a dedicated line dance event there. Now, is there a local scene? Are you going to attract the local crowd to come to the event? One, are you going to have multiple rooms? Do you want it to be a one-day? Do you want it to be a three-day? Do you want it to be a four, five, whatever? Kind of like what Vegas is, a whole week experience. Because let me tell you, I went to the experience when it was in Nashville. I did the floor, and I got the DJ, and we did the video. We we got to be tourists for two and a half, three days before doing the floor and the event start. And that city, that city can eat you alive. That city, you can have fun. You, you can definitely enjoy that city for a week long. And that's... I. Diane and Sandy pick their cities based on that. They want to give the people who come to that a week-long experience. Three or four days of having fun, mixing with three or four days of dancing. Great time. I know it's going back to New Orleans. It's coming up near when it is. Another great event. Um, but when you're picking the city, and like I said, with Nashville, what would the goal be? Now... I know for a fact there's local instructors there. Michelle Jackson White um, teaches at the Nashville Palace. I'm sure there's a couple other small ones. I see different postings on it. But so one, you have local people. The question is whether or not they're going to want to come to an event. Two, do you want to come in and and do a whole just a one day thing where you bring in a couple instructors, do it at a bar, have dancing at night. Three, do you make it a big spectacle event, kind of like a Fitz or a Showdown or a Windy City? And on that aspect, too, guys, you need to, when you pick in the location, you need to think of how many people that can hold, too. Mm, right. Because if you look at capacity, if you look at an event like Fitz compared to an event like Windy City, I would say fits a little bit more comfortable. Windy City ends up being a little bit more packed due to the ballroom spacing because he ends up having five ballrooms. Fitz has three. Mark does make sure something is offered across the board, whether it's a beginner, an all-request room, a classic room, or he calls it a floor filler room. Um, two, adv- two intermediate advanced dances going on at the same time. At night, there's a beginner room, there's an all-request room, and the main ballroom. And do you think that 
is why Windy City is, is meant be part of the reason why it's so successful is that because anybody who can go there can find something that they'll enjoy versus and I'm I'm going to jump in ahead, on please. this topic because there are, I work events of all kinds as yep. you very well know um, I greatly prefer one day workshops personally and I'll tell you why because everybody is there together all day long. I work some some of the huge conventions I work, which I consider huge, like Vegas or even Fort Wayne, um, Dance for All. There are people there that I know very well that I never see until Sunday when they're leaving. And it's so funny because they're like, oh my gosh, where have you been? I'm like, where have I been? I've been working this event. What do you mean, where have I been? But you don't see them because there's so many people there. Yep. Um, so... I prefer the one-day workshops just because we can all learn the same dances together and then enjoy them at night or during the social dance parties as well. When we do the multi-day, and you know, everything has its place. I know people love multi-day conventions. They can be fun too. I'm not saying they're not. For me, though, they're more frustrating because I can't learn every new dance that's taught at a multi-day convention. It is physically impossible. That means at night... When the hot hits are being played, I might not know all of them. So I have to like stand off to the side or run to the other ballroom. Maybe I'll go. That's why I spend a lot of my time sometimes at some of the events in the improver room or the all request room. Because there, I can hang out with the people and have a great time dancing instead of standing around. Right. Um, so that's one of the benefits that I see in a, in a smaller event, if you want to call it that, or just a one-day workshop. Everybody's together. And so you're all learning the same dances. It's the energy is better. You're not so let's let's go with like Windy City. Sometimes in some of those ballrooms, you'll have like twelve people in one class. Right. So twelve people out of six hundred people are learning this dance. And then, you know, when they go to play it at open dance at night. Twelve people get up. The twelve people get up to dance it and the DJ turns it off because the floor's not full. Yep. Which isn't fair to the twelve people who learned it, but you know, it makes sense if you've got a bar and there's 300 people in and only 12 people are dancing. You don't you don't want just the 12 people to dance. But that's one of the, I guess, I'm not going to say a drawback, but that's one of the factors of a, a huge multi-day event where not everybody's going to be able to learn everything. So you'll have some classes that are massively packed and everybody learns that. But then you have the ones that just kind of fall by the wayside because... They get overlooked. You know, there's eight people in this ball, in this ballroom learning this dance. There's forty people in that ballroom learning that dance. It's it's harder to to keep that sense of community and the and the sense of everybody joining together to have fun. Right. Um, let me ask you something about the whole one day workshop thing. And I'm going to use the Barnes as experience. Mm-hmm. The one you you do at the barn in Sanford in, in uh, Sanford, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, Janice Graves puts it on. Trevor. Thornton and Lindley Shiana are also instructors there. She puts a cap on it, though, hmm. due to space. Right. So, me and I, I have gone to that event. How would you promote that? And this happens in the bar, because the goal is to get it there, and the goal is to stay sell out. Every year, mm-hmm. I, I I don't think I've seen one year it hasn't sold out, and because she puts a cap on it and stuff like that. But Trevor teaches the beginner classes there. How can he logistically ma- market that to get a beginner dancer to come to that workshop? Because mm. no offense, you know this. If you bring a beginner, bare bones, maybe been taking classes for say two months in a bar learning beginner bar dances. 
to a one-day workshop that's held in a bar called the Barn Manza, which is the name of the barn. Right. They couldn't do a damn one of the dances that are taught. You and I both know that. Well, Maybe one, and that's pushing it? Right. So let me touch on that because when I do my mini tour, this ties into my mini tours that I do. Right. When I do a mini tour, which is basically like a little mini workshop, um, I... Even when I'm going to a class where they're supposedly experienced, I always start with an easy dance. Okay. A beginnerish dance, if you will. And lots of times they are beginner, beginner level. Because I know those workshops, the people there, the local instructor has promoted it to whatever classes they have. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a combination. So, for example, the one I just did in Longview, Texas, was a combination of a beginner class and an improver, or sorry, intermediate class. Right. So beginner, improver, and some of those beginner dancers had really only been dancing for a couple weeks. So... What I do as a program, and this would apply to any type of workshop situation, not just what I do, but I start with an easy dance, and then we do something a little more challenging. And then we, usually on a, on a typical mini-tour type of thing, I end up doing four dances over the period that I'm there. So we start with a little easy, easy one, absolute beginner if you want to call it that, then do one that's a little more challenging, work up to an improver, and then throw something really challenging at them so then the people that are more experienced can walk away with something you know, that they could sink their teeth into and really enjoy. However, while I'm doing that, I'm also giving dance styling tips, dance technique tips. So it's not just teaching them routines. They're they're getting an experience of extra stuff. So I do the same thing when I teach at the Barnanza. Some of the answers are going to be easier and some of them are going to be more challenging. We, we don't ever really do anything super complicated, I don't think, at the Barnanza because it is a bar. Mm-hmm. And we want them to be able to enjoy those dances on the club floor when we leave. Right. Um, and that's a big part of whatever workshop, event, convention you're designing and providing. Exactly what you're saying. If you want, and this, I was going to mention this also, so trying to attract the local, mm-hmm. the locals to come to it. Lots of ways to do that. Number one, I'll use me. Sorry, because I'm I'm very familiar with what I do. So I'll say we have a world champion dancer. He's in two halls of fame. You know, teaches all over, bars all over the USA, travels overseas. You're going to have a blast. So so that I'll tell you how some of the um, mini tour people in Texas did it. They promote it as like he's super fun. You're gonna have a great time, even if it's even if it's a challenge for you. You're gonna have a blast. You right. will laugh. You will smile. You'll have a great time. And consistently, the response was that from the people who came. So specifically, one lady at one of the the uh, mini tour stops said, "You teach too fast." So and she's a new dancer, right. right? She's a newcomer. Now, keeping in mind the first dance I taught was a beginner dance, easy, easy, and I went really slow because also I changed my pace as I teach. The first dance is going to be taught as a beginner dance, nice and slow and calm for the beginners. Next dance being a little harder, I'll, I might amp up the pace a little bit teaching it. But anyway, I responded to her and said, "Well, this is like a concentrated little workshop for you, and it's going to be overwhelming." So, exactly touching on what you said. Newer dancers come in, they're going to be overwhelmed. Anybody who comes to a workshop of any kind for the first time will be overwhelmed pretty much if, they're, if they've never been to one. Because it's a, it's a concentrated situation, not like a local class where you, right. know, you can ask your instructor questions and go over it 78 times and take your time because there's a schedule. 
right? We've got a schedule to meet. We've got, we've got an hour for a class or 50 minutes or whatever it is. And then you move on to the next one. And one might be a waltz and one might be a polka and one might be a hip hop number. And, you know, you're going to be exposed to a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. Um, promoting that and letting people know, hey, if you, is it a country music? Are you focusing on country music? So I'm going to use Mishnok and friends. It's what I'm going to be doing next. So at the time of this recording, I'll be heading off to New York next to work Mishnok and friends. They prefer for us to provide dances to country music there. Dan and Kelly Albro, who host that, have their own club called the Mishnok Barn. It's a country bar. And of course, they do play other types of music there, but the focus is country. So they want, they ask us to please bring mostly country dances to country music. That's their market. That's their niche. That's what they're trying to... to right. And we do dances of different levels. Not saying we never do a dance to a pop song there. Of course we do. But the focus is on the country so that people who love country dancing have an event to go to instead of... And I'll just use Boston as an example, if that ever comes back, <laughs> the Boston Showdown. The focus isn't on country. I consider that focus to be more skewed towards the pop, the hip-hop, you know, they have soul, soul line dancing classes there. It's great. It's fantastic. The market is different. What, what they're appealing to is different. The crowd they're trying to, to attract will be different than, let's say, what Mishnok attracts. So it's very important when you're hosting an event, however long it is, figure out your market. Who right. are you trying to appeal to? And then make sure that the programs you set up actually entice them to come in. Another thing, another part of that, really quick, on, on enticing people, whether it's locals or people from far away, what extra stuff? Like, why should they come to, let's say, Nashville, Tennessee? Well, they can go see the Grand Ole Opry, or they can, you know, there's there's cool stuff, there's history, there's, there's all kinds of neat stuff, music, you know, museums, whatever. You can pro- use that in your promotional materials as well. Right. So then you're providing an experience, not just a dance event, it's going to entice people to go, oh, hey, I've always wanted to go to Nashville because I want to go see, you know, whatever. Um, use that to your advantage, just even when you're doing a one-day workshop. You know, we can say, hey, if you've never been to Fallsmouth, whatever, North Dakota, I don't even know if there is a Falls in North Dakota, but give them a, like, entice people. Yeah, yeah, give them reason. Like, I'm not just going to go to dance. I can actually go check this really cool thing out. So there's a thought. So, hard question for you. I could see your brain percolating while I was talking. Do you think current event directors do a good job at setting up their event for their location and what they're going for? It depends. Knowing that you do all sorts of types. You, yeah, you do it, multiple rooms, you do single rooms. Right. It really depends on... Okay, I'm going to give you specific examples. So, let's say Mishnok and Friends. It's at a resort in the Catskills. New York State of Line is at a resort in the Catskills. It's not easy to get to. So it's not like Dancing Up a Storm in Kansas City where the airport is literally ten, a 10-minute ten shuttle ride from the hotel. Right. So it's very easy to transit. You fly in, you you can just you can be at the hotel in a couple minutes. Yep. So... You're going to need to make sure that, and those resorts are done as a package deal. So typically here in the States, when you have a, an event at a big hotel, it's not a package deal. No. You come, you pay for your room. Your food is on your own, unless the event has, has, to, has to offer food as part of what they, they do with the hotel. Um, 
So that's going to make that more expensive for the attendees, unless you figure out a way to make that less expensive and more accessible. So you're going to attract... I think that's why some of those big big weekend conventions succeed just because the people who come have to make a point of going there. It's like they that's their yes. one thing they're going to do that year because that's all they can afford. Right. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I was talking about, so like the resorts. That's a package deal. So all your food is included. I'm going to talk about New York State Land for a quick second because... What Rosie does with that event is she actually books people's rooms for them and she puts them in the room they want. So if they want to be, you know, in wing C, she puts them in wing C with their friends who also want to be in wing C and they're in rooms next to each other. That's a lot of darn work to set all that up. But her clients, her paying customers know that she's going to do that for them. And that's part of why they go. That's part of why that event, I believe, is sold out every time because it's that personal experience. So I think kind of what we're touching on here is the, the what kind of experience do the event directors provide? I'm going to talk about what Chris and I did when we had our events. If somebody signed up, so we would put on our form like a little checkbox, like which, what kind of music do you like? Country, pop, all of the above, whatever. Or we'd say, little questionnaire like, what levels of dance do you feel most comfortable doing on the dance floor? Beginner, improver, intermediate, whatever. Some people would not check the box. So guess what? We also have a line on there where they have to put their phone number. We would Chris would call them. He would call the attendees and say, "Hey, I noticed you didn't. You know, on your form, you didn't indicate which kind of dancing you want to do. So I'm just curious. Can you tell me and check it out?" Then we also sent out emails to everybody. We were very communicative with our our, our attendees about right. everything. I think people appreciate that personal attention. Now, if you're hosting a multi-day convention and have 700 people coming, that might be a little bit more work look at Jamie and, and the Fort Wayne event mm -hmm. you know the experience that she's providing comes from her comes from her vision of what she wants that right. event to be and people know then to expect that when they attend now you have but then you have events and I work them I go I get there and okay where's the event director and um, you know who when's registration opening and every, everything's kind of like up in the air like what's going on and, and where are our ballrooms nobody's there to like direct you and say this ballroom would be the beginner room, this is our improver or whatever. And it's it's people are wandering around. They're paid to be there, but they're confused. Like, where do we go and what's happening and when are demos and you know, and there's that all comes from the top down. So you need to decide what level of personal attention are you gonna provide as well. Yes. For the the attendees. I prefer to work events where I feel valued. And I'm just saying, not as a staff member, but just as somebody participating in the weekend. You know, you go, there's somebody friendly um, to greet you when you come in the door, or you walk up to the registration desk, there's somebody friendly, how can I help you? You know, is this your first time? Welcome, blah, blah. Here's where the restrooms are. Here's, you know, kind of kind of help you understand what's happening. Right. Um, or if you have questions, if you've never been, newcomers, new dancers who've never been, it's very overwhelming. Why not have like a little, you know, Here's a newcomer, welcome to your first time event kind of packet or, or whatever whatever kind of um, welcoming thing you can provide to them so they then feel more comfortable being there because they're going to feel uncomfortable if they've never done a, a big convention before. Or it's their first workshop. Make them feel at home. Make them have have a greeter. Have some a dancer be a greeter and say, hey, welcome. Here's, your, you know, here's a goodie bag. Come on in. 
you know, we can sit over there, or the bathrooms are over there, and, and here's how the day is going to work. Just a quick little rundown. So I think it varies based on the event and who's hosting it. Some people are very aware of that and make that make their people feel welcome and want to come back. And others, it's just like a big business where, you know, here's the event, come in, here's your packet, you're on your own. You know, and they, that interaction's not there. Um, on the communicative topic, I think during this pandemic, there's been some event directors <laughs> that have been very good at communicating hmm. with the people who have already registered for their event, but might have been registered for the event two years ago and it's already rolled over once. Mm. The people who might want to come to an event now that uh, some event, other events have canceled. And I get the, I get it, guys. I understand we're technically still in a pandemic and sometimes answers can't be made. But you know what? When you became an event director and you signed up as an event director, you signed up to be the one answering questions about mm. your events. Yep. Don't don't just ignore emails don't just ignore phone calls don't ignore messages you signed up when you put your name on that flyer saying hosted by or such and such presents boom 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 the minute you do that or you make that announcement on Facebook that you're doing this you took over the responsibility of the communicator the person the person telling it and, and explaining things about this event. I, the thing I hate the most, I guess, and I, like you, I do get to go to a lot of events. When attendees know more about the event than the people <laughs> running it. That's, that's not necessarily a good thing. It, it really isn't. It, it's not. Um, going on scheduling and when you pick out how many rooms you want at an event and this comes down to um, believe it or not guys this comes down to money paying for ballroom space or mm-hmm. um, selling enough room to get so much ballroom space comped how many people you're going to have attending compared to how many people do you want per workshop if you know you, ho- you if you know you're only going to get about 250-300 people okay and you have four workshops rooms well divide 300 people divide four that's only just over about 75 people 75 people on the dot per room if everyone attends that class that hour Mm -hmm. now I'm going to give you all a little heads up if you decide to run an event if you ever think that you're going to get every person paid to be at an event in a workshop room at the same time Mm -hmm. for the same hour just go ahead and erase that. Um, unless it's a one-day workshop. One Even day no, but no, 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 no. no. Even if it's a one-day workshop, how many people sit down? Because they don't want to learn that dance. Very true. Yeah, true. No, right. It depends because um, you're making a valid point. Um, it, it, it depends what you're offering. So like I said, like for example, Scooter Lee with Dancing for the Dream. Everybody's there for that same reason that they know. And here's, here's the thing. So she has different... 
I'm gonna. This is great that we can. I can take off on this and riff on this for a second because each of our dancing for the dreams is slightly different. The one in Myrtle Beach, we have three classrooms happening because there are so many people there that we have to have three classrooms. So the main room is where we do the harder level stuff, if you want to call it that. Then there's a room for beginners and technique stuff, and then the room where we do like improvers, so a little bit, a little bit more challenging. So that's one option that she has. That's Myrtle Beach, and that I would venture to say is her most successful one. It's it's always just packed, and it's so much fun. And then we'll do something like Blairsville, Georgia, where it's just one room, and we're all together all day. So we teach the easy level stuff, and those people then dance to one side of the room, or to the front, or wherever you put them. And then we'll teach a more challenging dance. Everybody's still in the room, so that means the beginners can try it. And we do encourage them. We say, it may be more challenging for you, but at least try the steps and see what happens. And then we give them the option. You can stay over on the newbie side, as we call it, and do the easier dance that we taught you, or you can dance with the more experienced people and try this little more challenging dance. So that's a unique perspective on the same program, but different size events. Do you see what I'm saying? So yep. one, she's got more people, three rooms happening. The other is maybe 100 people and all in one room. And making the program work in both situations is the, is the trick and the key there. Now, I'm glad you went off on that little, that little thing because it kind of <laughs> led into what my next question was going to be. Do you, as an instructor, think event directors are trying to push too many dances into a weekend? Yes and no. Um, and let me explain why. So... Yes, because we see events hiring so many people. And I'll use Dancing Up a Storm as an example. When Karen Hedges, who's hosted that event forever, about three decades now, asked for assistance because it was attendance was starting to drop and, and you know the finances weren't coming out, right? The first thing I said is, you have too many staff people. You have too many instructors. Cut the staff. I know it's a hard thing to do because they're your friends cut the staff and make the remaining staff work harder. Don't bring me in and, and, and have me do one class in the course of a three-day weekend. That's just silly. If you're going to pay my fee, bring me in and work me. Give me workshops. Make me work. So part of it is, I think, and also the... Inst- so I'm going to put this on both. I don't, I'm not sure it's necessarily the event directors. I feel like instructors come and either... A lot of them present their own choreography. Okay. So, of course, they want to teach as many of their own dances as possible. So they'll do two, three, sometimes four dances in a, in a class. Scott Blevins made, made a good point to me a while ago, and he said, you know, we used to come, it took you the whole hour to learn something, and now people are expecting to learn dances like 20 minutes. So you can do three of them in an hour class, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the, the whole experience has changed from how it used to be. That's neither good nor bad, but I, I see sort of a negative side of that is now we don't really spend enough time how to learning how to do the dance well. It's how many dances can we cram in in a weekend, in a, in a convention. And Kelly, how many of those dances then never ever get danced anywhere again? A lot of them. Yeah. Most of they them. They just go... Pfft, Most because, of them. They sit, they sit around on the side. Right. And I think, and on your point on, I don't think it's event directors, I, I see to the extent... On some of the instructors, but how many times do you get an email from an event director saying, I need three intermediates, six right. beginner dances, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, that, and this leads to, and 
from the from a video aspect. So every time I, I'm at an event, I get a schedule. I go and I, I make a list of what everybody's teaching. Now, future event directors of America. <laughs> I get the royalty has been around for decades and has earned the right to call their shots. But when you're on a budget to put on an event, it's not the smartest idea to work the person you're paying the most, the least amount. And it's so... When you when I see a, a newer instructor teaching ten of dances over a weekend, and a more prominent instructor teaching four, why is that person one that you're paying less money to working two and a half times as hard <laughs> as the person who's the experience that should be the one setting the example? That's. That right there is yeah is massive. So that, yes, and that comes that brings us into another aspect of events is and it relates to what I was talking about staff. I want the people who are going to give me the most value for the money, and I'm talking staff. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to hire you to work for my for me and for my event, I want to know number one, you are going to be an exciting, interesting, effective teacher. That's why we're there. People are coming to learn from you. So I need to know you can teach really well. Um, I've had people, especially, let's say, Dancing Up a Storm. So Karen, or yes, Karen has invited people to be on staff, and I will never have them back, to be perfectly blunt. This is controversial conversations. I won't say who. I won't mention a name. But there are certain people I will never hire again because they didn't bring what they were supposed to bring to the event. Right. So let's. I'm just going to pick examples out of thin air. Let's say you have an instructor teaching off a sheet in front of the class. That should not be happening. Pet right. Peeve. You know what you were going to teach. You submitted the dance. That's why it's on the schedule. You should know it and not be standing there with a step sheet. That does not look professional to me. I will not have you back. So or don't the, tell your videographer that you can't do it. You can't do the, the, their video for that dance until after the teach on the very last day when they know that we get our videos done to, for people can pick them up on Saturday because they haven't learned it yet to teach it on Sunday. <laughs> um, but so the, the, the I kind of lost where we we're going this, but the, whoever you hire, um, oh, we were talking about working. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So that's where we were. So I agree with you. There are people who, I won't say names, but I'm seeing them in my head at the moment. So you can always message me later and I'll tell you who I'm talking about. But they come to the event they know there's a show. They don't learn their parts. And they never learn their parts. And they never try. And then, when the show happens, they realize, you know, oh, I'm sitting here, you know, not doing anything. Is there anything easy I can do to be part of the show? No, you should have done the exact same amount of work as everybody else and learned the parts of the show that you're supposed to be in. Um, that's just one example. That's one aspect. Um, so, in, event directors... Why? Uh, let me back up a little bit too. When we're talking about scheduling, okay? How many dances? Because I didn't really get to finish that. that I got point. a point. I got a point on that. Too Good. When you're done. Um, yes, part of it is on the event directors because you're scheduling so many workshops 
it's overwhelming. Okay? If you're going to, and I get it, if you're going to bring that many people, you have to schedule then enough workshops so that everybody's working. Do you need that many instructors? Do you need to bring that many people in? Why not concentrate on a few, provide an awesome experience with those few people who can teach, let's say, a beginner class or an improver class or an intermediate advanced class or a technique class or a styling class? Work them. Have them create... It saves you money as well. I mean, budgeting, the biggest expense, in case you all didn't know this, all of you listening, the biggest expense for any event is the staff. Yep. It's the travel costs. It's the rooms. you got to provide rooms for them. Um, and so we're talking like if you're doing a, a multi-day convention specifically, one-day workshops, you might not have that much expense for, for rooms, let's say. But multi-day conventions, your staff is your biggest expense. Yep. So the more people you hire, the bigger budget you need. And then that, in turn, means the more people you have to come buy passes so you can pay everything. Yeah. Um, and on, on that aspect, guys, on the scheduling, don't, don't have an instructor come in on Thursday for the pre-party and everything, and then don't schedule them to teach till Saturday. We just had that happen at the event we and John were at. Instructor was there, got there the same time I did at 10.30 in the morning on Thursday. There's no dance at the hotel. We went to the bar, Whiskey Baron Saloon in, in Colorado Springs. They were at the, the pre-party, got up for demos Friday morning. Demo, did, did demo because he wasn't teaching nothing that day. Had to wait around till 5 o'clock when we're doing demos for Saturday to demo. And then he didn't teach until Sunday. I mean, on Saturday, and then he saw Saturday and Sunday, that was it. Why were they there? <laughs> or don't schedule someone to get done and only teach the first two days and then be done come noon, come 10, 11, 12 o'clock on Saturday. The whole rest of that Saturday, they're not doing nothing. All day Sunday, they're not doing nothing. Why are they going to stay around if you're not scheduling them? But on the, on the topic you brought up with Scott about how people, your event directors want you to teach a dance in 20 minutes to squeeze three in, I think that has a lot to do with schedules getting released. Mm. I think, and again. Oh, that's another big aspect of events. Again, <laughs> you can get upset with me about this statement. I don't see the point of releasing a schedule before an event to the public. Send it to your staff, yes. Send it to your DJ, yes. Let them know a heads up. Here's what I always say, Kelly. You've already paid to be there. Right. You're already coming. So, and this is a good topic because I personally, and I have had people tell me this. Well, I want, I want to know what's being taught so I can learn it before I get there. Well, then what's the point of coming? What's the point of taking the classes if you've already learned them all? Or, or Stacy, who turned around and makes an entire video list of every video on YouTube for every dance taught. People just go start watching them, making sure they know them. And then no one attends the classes. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing. Event directors are paying all this money for the instructors to be there to teach classes. The dancing at nights is a nice added bonus that's put in their contract for them to do because it's open dancing at night. I've seen more and more people pay to be at an event and not show up except for open dancing. They don't come to a single workshop. They might come to one, two, right. Maybe, but an event director is going to turn around and say they have 300 people registered for the event, and 
their highest average for an entire day is 175 people in a workshop between the total between the three rooms, say it's a three room event, if they turn around and add and there's only 175 people total, the first thing that they're going to say is, where's the other 175 people? Yes. Why am I paying all this money for all these instructors if no one's going to show down, come down and take the classes? Okay, fine. They still got their money. I get it. That's that's truly what your reasoning wants to be. But why waste why waste all the time and effort? Yeah. So for Dancing Up a Storm, we don't release the schedule in advance. And this year I had so many people saying, where's the schedule? Is there a schedule? I need a schedule. And I'm like, you'll get a schedule in your packet when you get there. And there will be one posted outside every ballroom. So you don't, I think Karen ended you know, up posting it like, Two days. Yeah, before. we we ended up posting it like right. two like two days two, be- days, two days before. Because before, I was literally getting on the plane to Louisville to pick up the dance floor, and as I'm at the airport, I get the notification that the schedule is posted. <laughs> but I deliberately don't release it in advance because I don't feel it's necessary. I really don't. It's necessary to know like when things start, you know, like an outline. So, um, like let's say I'll say Mishnock. So they in the the information they provide to the attendees on the back, there's a schedule of what time things happen, meaning this is breakfast, this is lunch, this is dinner break. Classes run from 9 a.m. to whatever. But it's not a delineation of this hour, this is being taught in this room. It's just a guideline. So you can go, oh, I know when to like eat and you know take a break or, or whatever. Classes are here. Oh, here's when the show is happening. Or you know, I can go out to dinner because there's enough time in between. That's useful to have. I'm, I agree with you. I don't I don't like it when the schedules come out with every dance listed of my what's being question, taught. But my question is, why can't the attendees just check that on Thursday when they get there and go to right. registration? Right, exactly. Oh, wait, because they ignore everything in their packet. <laughs> That's why. You, no offense, except for the newbies. I'll give the newbies a five. This is your first event, second event, maybe. You, For those who go to every event known to man, you can't tell me you don't know how an event runs by now. You can't tell me if you've been to Windy City for the last eight years in a row exactly the format Mark and Eve use. You know. You don't need to know exactly what dance is being taught every hour. When you get there on Thursday and you sit through the song selection for the pro challenge and you have your packet, you can sit there and start. And then when demos start, you're you're gonna wait anyway. Why do we need to have why do we need to have the a, a schedule out for a video list can get posted for everybody can see what's coming and learn it before they and get learn there. it before they get there what's the point <laughs> what was yeah. the point of the workshop I, I don't I don't understand I don't understand that it's it's frustrating for someone and, and this is the other thing I, I hate it when event directors respond to you oh well you should have seen it. I posted it on Facebook oh. or I posted it on the website Newsflash, half your staff, at least the part that care, are prepping for the event, are probably traveling because they're get traveling, having to get there early. I know you're, some events, one, two days, you're yeah. traveling two days before an event. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to check Facebook for everything. You don't have time. Send an email. How hard, how hard is it to communicate with your staff at least? A text. A text, text saying, hey. You're teaching, you're teaching here, 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 and here. So, How hard is so that? for example, um, for this event that I just that we just were attending, mm-hmm. Dance Dance Dance, 
the schedule was emailed to me. I was traveling. I was doing my mini tour in Texas. I didn't see it. So my point is, the schedule was sent out. If you have any changes, if anything needs fixing, let me know. Well, I didn't see. I didn't open email until the day before the event. And then I saw the schedule. I'm like, oh, every dance had my name on it as the choreographer, which is incorrect. I didn't choreograph all those things. That was actually, I noticed one. (laughs) So I didn't get, I wasn't on the email list. Hmm. I I was on the email list. Luckily, Trevor sent it over to me. And I noticed that even on the final one, half of the choreographers were, right, brought, were right. listed as only the one, the person teaching it. Right. They didn't so, have a co-choreographer so this, listed. So this comes back to if you're an event director or a host, communicate. And if you don't get a response, like Scott's good at this, he'll say, please acknowledge that you received this email. And then he'll bother you. He'll bug you until you acknowledge and say, yes, I got your, I got your dang email. Right. But he's good about that. Cause then it reassures him that you got the message, you know, what's happening, whatever that message was. Um, that's like, it, it can be annoying, but it's effective because then he knows you've got the information that he wants you to have. I think that's something all event directors should do. You know what I do when I send out bad stuff like that? I send it through Facebook Messenger. That way I get a notification when it's been read by every person. Mm. And I purposely do it in group ones. One, because I know it annoys half the instructors because they're going to get 475 <laughs> notifications ding, in a matter ding. of moments. <laughs> and two, guess what? I can see when you leave the group and ignore the message. Mm-hmm. And that's when I can turn around and contact you personally and contact the event director saying such and such is not doing their job. It works. There, there's reasons. There's reasons, guys, that certain certain things are done. People will message you a certain way. Why? Because notif- you can't turn notifications off. Like you can turn off in an iPhone whether or not something's been. If you read something, so no one can know whether or not you actually saw the message. You can use even if you read the message. You're like, oh, I didn't ever got the message because they can't tell. You can't do that through Facebook Messenger unless you just tell them, oh, I took Messenger off of my phone. That's another thing. If you're going to be in this industry, learn to communicate. And that's I'm, this is across the board, not just instructors. This is event directors. This is everybody. Communicate. That's a big thing about setting up events. Okay? I know many event directors that don't get answers back, even confirmations whether or not instructors are going to attend. Mm-hmm. And then they're in a scramble thinking, oh, I've got such and such, such and such, such and such all lined up. We're going to have all these instructors two weeks before the event. Oh, I'm not coming. Oh, I, I told you months ago I can't be there. Mm-hmm. No, you didn't. Nice try. You're just well, going to use the and, excuse now. And, but that actually has happened. Oh, uh, <laughs> that I actually know has that. happened. I know so, that's happened. Um, I have a question for you, Kelly. Okay, ask what? So, because you work a lot of events too, and I'm curious what what's your impression of the different formats of events? So, like, a, what do you think are the benefits of say just doing a one day event? Versus multi-day with tons of instructors. Cause so like, a, like usually a one-day event is just a couple or two or three instructors. And then a multi-day event, you have like 18. So I love one-day workshops like you, like uh, for a lot of the same reasons you do. But... I kind of think they're pointless now. Mm, why? Because I... It's not enough time to... expose that crowd to that person. 
Gotcha. And and the reason I say this is, if you look at every one-day workshop, for the majority of them, a whole full one-day workshop, I'm talking about starting at 9 o'clock, going to 4, seven, eight, nine, seven, eight hours of lessons, a two-hour dinner break, and then you're back there for uh, another lesson for the social dancing at night and thing. How many of those actually only bring in one instructor? Almost none. You might get the occasional one or two. Like I know 40 just has Scott Blevins in. Mm -hmm. That may be different because you're getting the same person lesson. So open dancing, lesson, open dancing. You're getting the same person. If I'm a first timer to a one day workshop and it's multiple people I'm only going to get to see, say you, say, say, I'll use the Barnanza. Mm-hmm. There's two of you, usually. Sometimes, sometimes Trevor throws in a bonus teach one because, because she usually doesn't have him teach there. But it's usually now it's you and Brandon, before it was you and Junior, and she had throwing thing. I'm probably only going to get to see you teach two, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. That's, that's accurate. We usually and teach six two times. Two or three. Two yeah. or three. Two or three, yeah. And, it could take that fourth or fifth lesson where you finally click with me. And especially, again, if that's a one that's in a bar atmosphere, it's if I'm a brand new dancer and you're trying to say, hey, I think you should go check this out. You're going to like this. That we, And then you're trying to promote them to come check this out to go to, say, Fun in the Sun mm-hmm. or a Florida Classic that's in the same city. Now, if I'm a new dancer, and I only get to see you twice, and then I have to come back, and then I have to try to finagle my way through a whole bar of not only the people, 100 people attended, plus the two, 300 people in the bar, to get to see you teach one random thing, it's, to me, that's not enough exposure to try to get to get a full grasp on you. So now you're trying to, you have someone trying to promote to get this brand new dancer, beginner dancer that's never been to an event to trust the process of one day workshop and spend 150, 70, 100 bucks for a one day workshop, then turn around and spend 160, 170 bucks for a three day workshop plus hotel, mm-hmm. plus all that. In case you haven't noticed, the average age of line dancers is not <laughs> that young anymore. It's not back 15, 20 years ago where it was majority. It's the older crowd. Why? Because they're the ones that can afford to do right. this. I wouldn't say an event like Vegas because that's very overwhelming. Again, I've said this in the past on many other things. If you're a new person and never been to an event, I've only ever <laughs> been to one event, do not make Vegas your first, your first or second one. event. <laughs> no. Because you're going to get trial by get, fire. Right, it is travel fire. And I'd actually even go along with the line of almost saying that about Windy City to an extent. Mm. But at least it's in a shorter period. It's not six days, it's three. Um, I almost like those little mid-size... Like, I love going to Dance Film Storm. Mm. My first time I got to take the floor, you let me teach, I did the videos... 200 people. I maybe knew three going in. It's a, it was a group of people that don't go to a lot of events on the East Coast. 
where I mainly go. It's not a, a group that goes to a lot of big events. Um, very similar to the crowd that was at Dance 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 this past event me and you were at. But, and I will say this, and I said this to Kelly when I called her from the event, they're so welcoming. Mm. Which, big events, unless you know the people, not necessarily the true cape statement. To be quite honest, the one of my favorite events to go to, and it can be overwhelming, is Fort Wayne. Mm. And it's because it offers something for everyone. So you can be a brand new beginner dancer, and she has great beginner instructors that will go to the nines for them. You could be a pattern partner dancer, and that's what you think, and only want to dabble in something. I love events like that. And I think, speaking to that, it's the atmosphere there as well. Yes. That's that welcoming thing you're talking about. Yes, the convention center does a great job of making everyone feel welcome. The hotel staff of the hotel that's attached to the convention center, great job of making everyone feel welcome. Jamie's staff that she's had for years, great job. The instructors that she brings in, phenomenal job at that. I don't want to discourage one-day workshops. I don't, but... It's got to be done correctly, and and this is where why I asked you, do you see event directors? I see a lot of people organizing one-day workshops that are, in my opinion, doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm glad, I'm glad you actually said that now because, of course, as we talk, things percolate through my head. And I did an um, event in Florida, a one-day workshop. Two, I think there were two rooms. So... One's in the main building, if you want to call it that, and one's in a different building. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that, because I, I tried to go between the two buildings, even though I didn't necessarily have to teach in both, <clears throat> but I wanted to go to the other one to see what was happening over there. And I noticed that one time that I did this event, the person who was teaching in the other room, and it was supposed to be kind of like the main room was the more improver level and the other room was the more advanced, you know, experienced yep. dancer type type of material and the person who was teaching over there when I went over there before I had to teach it wasn't going well let's put it that way Mm -hmm. you know I'm not trying to be rude but I was observing the class and the instructor and it just wasn't going well so that person that teacher either brought the wrong material or just wasn't resonating with the class or something but it didn't go quite quite the way it should have right so that to me and then of course the next year the person who hosted the event didn't have that person teach again, I guess. So so they learned from that experience. I think event directors have to be always vigilant and paying attention and seeing what is working and what is not. Um, another thing I wanted to mention while it's in my head, learn to market. Yes. Mo- I think a lot of event directors don't understand marketing. They don't understand advertising and marketing, specifically marketing. You need to market the event. You need to create an experience people crave and want to to come to. But then you also have to advertise it a lot. Putting a flyer together and then just handing it out at events is not enough. It's not effective anymore. We have this thing called social media, right? So event directors have to learn how to use that. So what 
it, this is cracking me up because I'm about to do my Northeast mini tour, and I think it's it's amusing, but it's also good. So <laughs> the people that are hiring me are posting in all the groups, like line dancing in New England or or whatever it is in the area, and they're posting the little flyer they've made or the little event, yep. you know, click here to join um, link in these groups, and it's just cracking me up because one one person does it, then they'll all yeah, they'll then all do everyone it. else. But does that's it. that's great because you and I have talked about this. People aren't paying attention. First of all, we're being inundated with stuff all the time. When you post something, for example, let's say on Facebook or whatever, there's a very limited number of people that are going to see that. 10%. Just to, for those of you who don't know, this, Kelly has a degree, a master's degree in social media marketing, and this is what we do. We, we do this, and I study it. Brian Barakowskis is amazing at this, and we study numbers, and Kelly has... Um, done classes with Brian on Facebook marketing in general if your friends list is 3,500 people when you make a post only 10% at the best of your friends list is seeing that post so 350 people that's it you gotta continue and tag Mm -hmm. and hashtag and use all of that and to go back on what we were just saying about the marketing and everything, I feel, and the reason I think I feel one-day workshops are, are not done correctly, I feel like people who are running them are trying to be a three-day workshop and mm. cram it into a one-day yeah, event. One gotcha. I think that's why. I think they're 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 wanting to be bigger. And right. for those who can't see this because this podcast, I just use my air hashtag, my air <laughs> quotes. I think they're wanting to be bigger, but they're not. And they're trying to challenge and compete with the things in the area that are and so try I, to sh- cram as much yes. into eight hours and that's what's hurting it. Yes. So I see the quote unquote one day workshops that succeed and you're exactly right. They're not trying to provide a multi-day convention experience in one day. Right. That's why they're successful because they understand, those event directors understand it's a one day thing. They have two two instructors teaching throughout the day taking turns or whatever they don't have six or twelve and you know each one does a 30 minute class that's just too overwhelming in, in one day and I've been to workshops like that I've been to one day things where they everybody had like 35 minutes to teach something and right it's I've like, seen it's, none it's like, yeah, oh I've my seen God, none in Florida yeah, they, every, everybody taught one dance yeah. what was the point and then yes and then how so even for somebody who's experienced and comes to something like that you're going to be overwhelmed yeah yeah, you're, by the end of the day, your brain's going to be completely fried, and I'm not sure that's going to feel good on your body or in your mind. Like, oh, I had a blast doing this, but my head's about to explode because I just was taught 18 dances in four hours. Right. Um, so, you're absolutely right. I think whatever, and this ties back, way back to the beginning when I said, what is the goal? What is the purpose of the workshop or the event or the convention you're hosting? Be clear on that, and make sure that everything you plan, everything you arrange fits that goal and provides that, that experience that meshes with that. That's what makes the ones, like, I think Frank Trace has a very successful one-day workshop. Yes. He has tons of people show up, but above and beyond that, because he's got a great local following, but above and beyond that, the atmosphere is great. It's in a gymnasium, so it's not the most, you know, it's not like the warmest environment, or there's not like cool decorations or anything, but it's very comfortable and cozy, if that's the right word to use. There's vendors around the outside. Um, 
It's very lighthearted, so we laugh. I love. I go as a vendor. I don't even go. I don't even get paid to go do it. Sometimes I just go to have fun, and I set up my vendor table because the experience that he provides is happy and joyful, and people are having a great time. Um, a, a great, and I actually never been to this one day workshop. I've only just met the man in Kansas City. I met him and his wife in Kansas City, and I'm there here again at the last event, Dance Dance Dance, and. I know he puts on a one-day workshop, but he brings in two instructors. I know the uh, big man, Steve. Steve, yes, they, Steve Jones. Yeah. And um, he this year, his, his he's bringing in Joe Babnick and Joanne Brady. He brings in two instructors for a one-day workshop. The difference is, this I'll agree with what he does. Why? Because he gets his dancers to go with him to little events in in the surrounding Midwest as an instructor he promotes for his students in that area to take from other instructors which if you listen to our last podcast was a big topic <laughs> so for his crowd he doesn't try to promote it to brand new dancers he doesn't try to go to this random one person that might have only been dancing now in this class for two weeks and say hey you should pay a hundred bucks and come to my one day thing that's not what that's a, that, that event's about. It's for his normal thing, it, his normal classes, his normal his normal people. He promotes it. People from the surrounding areas come in, and it works for them because they're already used to an event, an event motto, an event kind of like system where you have a class, another class, another class, and rotating back and forth works works in that. Like I was saying, it works for Steve's crowd. For him to bring in two people for a one-day workshop so on that aspect that works but yeah i think too many i think too many people who are running one-day workshops are trying to be a big event and i think that's probably why they don't work on a side note as we get to closing this conversation i we've talked about this and i i'm going to say this and i'm going to say this and don't take this the wrong way with the way i'm saying it i think the one positive thing that has come out of this entire pandemic is we have seen events cancel and I'm not saying the cancellation is the positive but we were getting way too many events Hmm. way too many events and the attendance was getting spread thin Mm -hmm. good point so everybody and, and I said this today I said this to someone this past weekend Someone comes and takes a class, they immediately think they can be an instructor. Someone teaches a, one class, they automatically think they can be a choreographer. Someone choreographs one dance, gets known, they automatically think they can run an event. And then we end up with 47 events on the same weekend in October, and five people at each event. Yes, that's an over-exaggeration of numbers, but you kind of get my get my drift. If let's Let's look at events back 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. We didn't have an event every other right. weekend. I was just going to say, events used to be like a special occasion. Right. And you would look forward to it with great anticipation. Like, yes. I can't wait to go to, at, back then, Fort Williams called the Dance Team Showdown. And that was one of the most high energy, most fun events. Everybody would just be so excited to go to it. So you're right. I think it, it's having this glut of events, is it's it's detracting from the, the wonderful 
the wonderfulness that they can provide. Right. Because there's just so many. And you're right. It's it, it people can't go to all of them. They can't. So we're also creating, I think, a little bit of a mentality now where, you know, people get upset and frustrated because they're like, I can't go to that workshop. There's, you know, 16 workshops and I can't afford to go to them all. And then they get stressed so that they don't want to go to any of them because, you know what I mean? Um, like like this, this, this past event we just did, there was an event in Colorado Springs and there was an event not far away in Mesa, Arizona. Now, next year, because we already know some dates, there's going to be three events on the same weekend. One on the East Coast in Pigeon Forge, one in Colorado Springs, one in probably Mesa, Arizona, because I believe they're staying on the same date. So <laughs> you're going to have three events, three three workshops. One is the, like the one day, same thing with Pigeon Forge, but then Colorado Springs on the same weekend. So yes, it gives people options, but why do we need that? Why do we need that many options on the same weekend? It might be a good idea. I'm just going to throw this out there for some of these events just to combine forces, honestly. So if you're, and I'll, I'll just use this as an example because we're here. We're in Colorado Springs right now. In July, we have Pikes Peak Line Dance or Bust. And then now in September, we have Dance, Dance, Dance. Why not just have one giant event where everybody's there and getting along and we make it this massively huge celebration instead of... You know, because at this point, you're here, you know what I'm going to say, you know what I'm talking about. At this point, we have two camps. We have the people that go to Pike's Peak, and we have the people that come to Dance, Dance, Dance. And never the twain shall meet, which isn't accurate, because there are people that that attend both. But why not just make some... Why don't the event directors join forces and make like a massively cool, huge celebration for everybody that we can all enjoy together? And that way, instead of having one event with a lot of people and one event with not enough people to even pay the bills, you could have a completely successful event for everybody. Event directors, instructors, and the paying attendees. Agreed. Just a thought. Agreed. It's a, it's a great point. And I, and I know what some of y'all out there are going to say. Well, if this person can't run a successful event and get people to come to their event, they should just shut it down. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. If you listen to the last episode, community. It's easy. I know it's a lot of syllables, and I know we're only used to counting five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> but why should that happen? Just because two people don't like each other or two people got upset? So they decided to to take over another event. Come on, come on, people! I've seen it happen way too many times. I've seen events move their events closer to someone else's event just to try to take mm-hmm. attendees from them, or just to be able to poach and make it cheaper for them to get instructors from overseas. I've seen that. Uh, yeah, that's a whole topic in and of that, itself. <laughs> it, it is, but but that's what I'm saying. It, but that all goes into what it takes to set up an event. I, me and John talk about this all the time. 98% of the time at events, me and him are two of the first people there and two of the last people to leave. On every event in the East Coast, John Robinson, me and Kelly usually, and J.P. Potter are the three people to get there first and the three people to be the last one to leave. We know what goes on from start to finish. We know what this takes. We do. We've been to enough of them. We've John and JP have both been event directors. I can't even count how many events I've set up and worked. I've lost count of that in the past seven years that I've been doing this on a regular basis. And not just lightning events. 
I do floor and go set up floor and, and watch the setup for salsa, ballroom, country. I see a lot. I see what other other industries do to bring for their their people in a setup an event and what works for them. You gotta find what's gonna work for what you wanna do, for what you wanna be as an event director, and for where you wanna put an event. That's something you and only you can decide. And then decide if it's feasible. Right. Don't, um, this might not sound good, but I'll say this. Don't go ahead with an idea for an event if it's not going to work. Right. Because that's just going to be, you're going to be disappointed. Your attendees will be disappointed. Um, the staff you hire will probably be disappointed. And it's just not a good thing to have happen. So be aware that events are a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I think I, I'm curious to know how many paying attendees, customers who come to events, understand all the work involved in hosting an event, even if it's just a small, tiny workshop. For Just really quick, when I do my little mini tours, right, just a four-hour workshop, there's work involved. That person has to book the room. They've got to make sure there's a sound system. They have to make sure, like, she had lunch. So they had lunch. They prepared lunch. They had little snacks there. All because now with the pandemic, they were all individually bagged, right? right. There's a lot of work involved. That I had to get there early to set up my merchandise because I set up a little vendor table at all these little mini tour things I do. So I have to be there early. I have to be prepared with the dances I'm going to teach. I send her a list in advance, make sure they're appropriate for her, the people that are coming. Like, I'll say, how many beginners will you are you expecting how many improvers and intermediates will you have that way it helps me to know and be prepared with the right material for them so that's just a small thing right um you get to the big conventions you've got to plan out you know like where are all your vendor tables going multiple and, sound systems yeah, floor yeah. vendor tables like john just said multiple vendor er, er, how do we keep water stations fully stocked if, and if you have multiple vendor areas mm. like windy city there's couple vendors that go up by the registration booth which is a whole different setup and then down at the other end there's an entire room full of the rest of the vendors where's the power outlets yes that's another <laughs> big thing how do we get power to stuff mm-hmm. how do you set up a ballroom for events that have been going on for a long time they got this down to a science they usually most events try not to once they find a hotel that they like they don't leave so they know the setup year in and year out it's the same it doesn't change and they have a staff that comes in that has been there year after year and they know exactly how to set up for first time events yeah you've gone and done a tour of the location you you never had actually you never set up everything so that's a whole nother ballroom that first time that first year you need to prepare that it's going to take a little bit longer to do some things because it's the first time you're doing them. Yeah, you've done that at a different hotel, but I, re- I remember when Big Bang, and I'll use Will, when we switched from the Sheraton downtown to um, his hotel he had for the last three or four years. Totally different. Mm-hmm. To- the logistics, totally different. Totally different for the setup. Some things were great and easier, and some things were not, and we had to adjust that that first year. So, but hopefully, you guys enjoyed this um, our talk on different event setups from all different types of sizes and all of our different inputs on what to make them. Give us the feedback. I know this, I know there's lots of events out there, so please, guys, wherever you give us feedback. 
Tell us what you've liked, what we talked about. Tell us what you have still have questions about. Mm. We'll it gladly would, do a part two of any yeah, episode. Well, and here, here's the thing, Kelly. It would be great to hear from our listeners, which events do you like the most and why? Like, why do you like that particular event? Why is it so appealing to you? What, what specific things about that event make you want to keep coming back? That would right. be, I'd love to know that. Yeah. And again, the one thing we are going to try to do eventually, we're going to do these live. We want to do these live, and we want to do them at a couple events. So if we do them at an event and you're in attendance, tell us what you might want to talk about because we're going to set it up and we're going to record it for it can get put on. But we're going to take questions live. We're going to have conversations and stuff like that. So please give us feedback. Let us know what you want to hear, what you want to talk about. So until next time, I'm Kelly Cavallero. And I'm John Robinson, also known as Mr. Showcase. See ya.